0: With great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. The Trino Community Broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings with open source Trino community and show off really cool things about Trino, including Druid. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so this week we are going to be uh, the the title of the show is Make Data Fluid with Druid. Um, we're uh, there's there's a, a an implication there that uh, we're dealing with uh, some really fast, real time stuff. Um, we, we always say the word fast whenever we're talking about, uh, you know, database systems. And so we're going to really talk about what fast means in, in different contexts today, because obviously Trino's fast, but, uh, But uh, Druid is faster, (laughs) and so uh, uh, we'll be handing that off to uh, some of our our guests here today. So, in fact, why don't I do a quick uh, round of introductions uh, to uh, all of our guests. Um, Let me first start out with uh, Rachel. Rachel, I'm really going to butcher your last name. Uh, (laughs) Could you just... Pedrushi? Is that right?
1: (laughs) do usually pronounce Rachel, how do you pronounce your surname, is typically how my last name is pronounced, so, so I'm Rachel Podreski. <laughs>
0: Perfect. And uh, you're coming, she's coming to us from uh, imply uh, and uh, one of the big uh, representatives of the uh, Druid community. Uh, and then we also have Parth and Samarth from uh, Netflix. Uh, thank you very much for joining, gentlemen. And uh, uh, of course, my typical partner in crime, uh, Manfred.
2: Yeah, I can't hide. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So basically, let me pull up real fast. Uh, we're gonna do uh, a quick message from the sponsors, which is Starburst. Um, I'm gonna pull up a new book that just came out today. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Trino. You know, uh, let me. See. You can just
2: go trino.io and go to the blog, and there's my last Yeah,
0: that's also true. Let's do that. That's the easiest path to get to it. Trino, the definitive guide.
2: Yes, it is out and ready to go. And it wasn't just a simple uh, string replacement uh, job, just like it wasn't easy to change the project name from Presto to Trino. um, The book also wasn't easy to change, but it was definitely worth it. the Twini book is out now. Twini the Definitive Guide is the updated version of the book we finished last year called Press to the Definitive Guide. Twini the Definitive Guide is updated to the latest release 354. So it's literally like hot off the press. Nice. Um, bunch of content has also been updated. All the erratas were changed and me and Matt and Martine went through and checked in uh, with Uh, Dane and David and the founders of the project as well got new got our sort of forward updated uh, updated what's happening to the project in the history, all those kind of things. And of course, it has uh, still information in it that you can't find in any other place like with more details about the web UI practical use cases and so on. So um, And the awesome news that we have from starburst is that again, we're making this book available for free. So There is no uh sort of barrier to entry to trino as such just go to the starburst website linked from the blog post um and get your free copy of the pdf and learn more from that yeah and we're gonna, gonna be awesome. we're gonna
0: add that url into the show notes as well uh it's typically we we have these uh running on the bottom anyway so if you go to the show notes uh right here uh if you want to download the Definitive guide for O'Reilly. The link is right there at the bottom of of uh, each You can also find it on
2: that blog post for the on the Twino website and on the page on the Twino website about the book. So definitely can't really can't really lose it. And of course, all the authors, including myself, but also Matt and Martin, are constantly on Slack. So if you wanna find anything out about the book or have questions or let us know that it's terrible, that's also good. Just contact us on Slack.
0: Well, actually, I, I let you know that it was, uh, there was a couple things wrong with it uh, on some of the errata, one one in particular. Yeah, I know,
2: but I fixed those.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there was, I guess, one where I think the the chart, I can't remember what the chart actually was, but that it was the, pointing. The
2: errors from the statements was wrong. Yeah. yeah. I, know. <laughs> I blame the O'Reilly uh, image maker because... <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that was their fault. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so one other thing we want to uh, talk about that's coming up, um, if you go to starburst.io forward slash Trino Summit 2021, will also be in the show note. Uh, we have a Trino Summit uh, coming up in September. So uh, we are uh, just now pulling together some of the topics that uh, the folks in the community really want to hear about. Uh, we did a survey not too long ago uh, trying to get, uh, uh, an idea of, of what everybody's interested in. Um, so, uh, so now we have opened up the registration page, uh, and, um, we will be, uh, yeah, going live in what, 138 days, 21 hours, 53 minutes and 48 seconds. So, um, so yeah, so just, uh, c- go to that page that's on the, will be included on the show notes. And, uh, and then register for general admission. That's all it takes. Uh, there was some weird issue that happened with the registration for a sec. That like I think is fixed now. Uh, it just it said that there's an email that's supposed to be sent and it never sends. Uh, I've since uh, fixed that issue, um, but th- uh, I want to just make that clear to anybody who is registering. If there is any issue, just reach out to me on on Trino Slack or. Or uh, you can even if you're not on the Slack channel, I'm on at bits on data dev in uh, Twitter. Um, hopefully you're on one of those two things, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and so that's basically it. Uh, Trino Summit's going to be, I, I think, th- like the primary thing that people are interested in. It's like around data lakes, and uh, and then just like specific technologies. Uh, we might even be having uh, uh, some of the uh, some of our guests here today uh, joining us as well. Possibly, we we haven't confirmed anything, so I don't want to uh, uh, start making promises that we can't back up, <laughs> but.
2: Also bit until September, as you saw from the ticket there, 138 days, I think that gives us chance for at least, let's say five or so releases or a bit more. So plenty of opportunity to send more pull requests and improve the project even more. So if you think the, the Druid connector needs some more work, go send us those pull requests and work with us and Absolutely. everyone else here on the call to get it even more improved.
0: Speaking of uh, the release, uh, so we—I I, I tried clicking on this link this morning and uh, it doesn't go anywhere. So what's going on with the release, Manfred? <laughs>
2: What link are you looking at?
0: I'm on the link with that I set up that anticipated 356 being done today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you're too eager. Um, in the other <laughs> notes, I sent you the release notes pull request. So uh, literally, the release is like, I don't know, minutes or days away. We are, we are assembling the release notes. Code is pretty much frozen. Um, and maybe by the time we w- listen to this or watch this uh, tomorrow or the day after, um it will be live so 356 is coming out and there is a bunch of really cool things uh, on the way again uh, i think one of the features that people will be most like impressed with or like scratched or have have a good opportunity to to scratch the head is the match recognized function so this is a new sql statement that's going to be supported uh and it allows you to query like write a query where as part of the query, multiple records are taken into account and then um, do sort of like training analysis within it, like seeing if records have a behavior of like the price range within and stuff like that. Um, pretty complex to understand, but we have a very uh, explicit and long documentation about it. You will have to check it out, but um, definitely one of the very new SQL standards like from like 2016 or even newer. So.
0: When I see match, is it is it supposed to be some kind, is it like a kind of an elastic search type functionality where it's doing a search type thing or is it more like... No,
2: it sort of like goes through a record set um, and for each like a number of records, it can sort of like... Um, match against say for example the price went up and was above a certain uh, okay and find all the all the customers were in that time it went over and stuff it's it's pretty complex but the, the statement itself is all pretty complex but it gets really close to like you know like where you feel like you're le- really working with a full-on programming language where you actually have to scratch your head a bit while, about what you're writing but mm. it's it's pretty cool so i very much recommend checking out the documentation for that nice Um, Another small hack is the sound X function came out, which is just a function to sort of convert an English word to like what it would sound like. So that's kind of funny Um, has uh, surprisingly many use cases, actually, and it was a pretty small, small PR to get it in. So that's cool. Um, Often requested feature. We have a property now that allows you to limit the planning time. Um, You know, some some queries uh, can take a long time planning. And um, that obviously introduces a bit of a load on the, on the coordinator, since all the planning happens on the coordinator. And um, you can now set a limit, right? Like the, the default limit is, I think, pretty high, but, um, and is most of the time efficient. Hmm. But if you, if you end up with problems where like, say for example, you're playing around with recursive queries, for example, um, which we do support, then setting that can, can help. And also as part of that, Obviously, since there is now a limit, the cancel behavior needed to change and be improved as well. So we, we made sure that, that there's better cleanup and we don't have like things laying around when planning when a query is sort of the processing canceled during planning. That's um, pretty cool. Um, it's very very practical. Lots of our customers wanted to have that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, a whole bunch of per- uh, performance improvements came in, literally around pushdown and uh, various like in statements. Uh, other various predicates with values and joints and stuff. Uh, you'll see those in the release notes. Um, also related to that related to materialized views, there's much improved uh, view uh, support for materialized views with like a data a table in the systems table and various uh, improvements around that.
0: Is this coral, the coral upgrade fix? Or is that something uh, totally no? Different? It's
2: like yeah, it's related to core, but it's in general uh, is also materialized. It used to be treated sort of like tables when they are materialized in the underlying system and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, JDBC driver, the uh, we recently added a lot of support for OAuth uh, and uh, single sign-on browser-based SSO, and of course that all works via token. So now the JDBC driver has a a caching. Uh, mechanism in place so that the credential token is basically cached in memory so that makes it much easier and nicer for users that uh, use any sort of application that uses the JDBC driver so they don't have to re uh, reconnect and re authenticate with the or system as often uh, the BigQuery connector got create and drop schema added which is pretty cool also uh, there's always something going on in that connector as well which is pretty pretty awesome
0: I mean, yeah i hadn't seen it for a while but Crops up every once in a while.
2: Yeah, yeah, straight from Google, and you know, it's good. Good. Um, Hive Connector has uh, improvements around uh, little small performance improvements and tweaks around parquet org and the Azure ADL uh, support. So for Azure ADL, there's a support for a proxy, like a caching proxy between between the endpoints and the Hive Metastore. Uh, Iceberg, again, a couple of smaller figures, specifically um, show tables now works even if the table was created elsewhere, like in some other tools like Spark and so on. There we, was a break around that.
0: You know, we covered that uh, like two two episodes ago. We when I was yeah. doing the demo. Yeah, that yeah. We, we had to do that weird little tweak in the in the meta in the um, in the meta store. Yeah, eBay. exactly. And, and
2: that's now <laughs> that's now fixed and is gonna be in that release for sure. So nice. Like that. Um, Kafka has SSL support now, so That's for the authentication to the nodes. Um, A whole bunch of connectors, like all the ones that are like typical JDBC connectors, like SQL Server, Oracle, Postgres, MySQL, they have improvements on the metadata caching. Mm -hmm. And then there were a bunch of uh, changes on the SBI, mostly around this whole increased stuff um, for uh, the materialized views. Awesome. Additional additional uh, like methods and signatures in the SBI, which obviously doesn't impact you if you don't use the stuff that wasn't there before. So it's cool. Very cool. Nothing breaking. So, yeah, uh, another good release. I definitely encourage all the SQL nerds to check it out and play around with Match Recognize or at least, you know, look at the documentation and scratch the head a little bit. (laughs) Nice. When I was reviewing that with the developer to make it consumable, um, I definitely had to scratch my head. I can tell you that. (laughs)
0: Very cool. Anything else you wanted to cover on this upcoming release? Anything else breaking, or are we still adding? You said it's frozen, right? So we're just basically yeah, waiting not on all. It's
2: frozen, the... but you know, it's in that like where we're writing the release notes, and gotcha. like, it's gonna be—it's pretty much imminent. So nothing big will be merged. That's for sure.
0: That's that hasn't been merged already. Cool. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Awesome. Well. So uh, now I want to
2: learn about Druid.
0: Yeah, let's let's learn about Druid. I'm gonna uh, first show off our uh, Allie's little animation here (laughs) that uh for druid and while we're looking at that uh i'm going to actually do something i have not done on the show before which is live uh adjustment of our obs scene here let me just do this real quick so that we can pull focus on our next speaker rachel and so we can see her floating head Um, oh i clicked on the wrong thing Give me For one, those who
2: are listening on the podcast, by the way, while while Brian does that, what Alison has created, she's created a little commander ban ban with a really crookedy sort of druid stick. I'm not sure what he's holding. I think this is this his beard. It's
0: a, oh they well no, the, there's the cane. Uh, yeah, the, well, that what's
2: the other thing in front of his face? It's a beard. <laughs> oh, it is a beard. That's yeah. what I was asking. It's a beard. And then he's I'm guessing this is in Stonehenge, which is
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was the idea. Like, I, I know, I know, there's a lot of, uh, of basically, like, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna try to pretend like I know anything about druids, other than that they're a big player in D and D as well as uh, Diablo. So, <laughs> why don't we, why don't we, <laughs> let the the experts start telling us about uh, uh, some some information about druid? Uh, and I think you you talk a little bit about uh, druids in general, right, Rachel?
1: Not really. Come but on. Actually, this particular <laughs> druid came from World of Warcraft, so that was uh, the original authors of druid. Um,
0: oh, okay. So this this was a World of Warcraft reference then. This whole this whole naming. Okay.
1: Right. As much as we would love to have, like, the Stonehenge Druid, and I like to use it as, like, you know, the wizard or use your druid magic or anything like that, but no, it's it's World of Warcraft.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but in World of Warcraft, it's a character type for that magic. So you can totally still make that claim.
0: Yep.
1: All right. Excellent. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me today. I'm super excited about this. Yep. Um,
0: Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, Brian and I have been talking about the big data landscape. Um, um, among other topics over the last few weeks, and trying to figure out, you know, what goes where, and you know, what, w- where do you put this and where do you put that, and it, there seems to be yeah. a constant able to have a constant conversation about it. We'll put it that way.
0: I mean, because like when I look at this, this you know, the modern real-time OLAP for database for for data-driven applications. Like, I mean, when you just see the word OLAP database, you're kind of thinking like, okay. So I mean, Trino does OLAP, it's not a database. So here are a couple differences, but like, you know, why would I need one versus the other? And what are the use cases is, I think is something that's constantly confusing for, for engineers that are just breaking into the space, especially.
1: Yeah, and that's where I like to talk. So my presentation on what Druid is, is actually a history lesson. because I think um, putting it in the concept of where it belongs in the timeline of OLAP databases because they've been around for a long time. So actually, so let's just hop into the Wayback Machine. Can you go into the next slide? Thank you for those who get the reference. Um, And we're gonna go way back to, oh, nope, that's too far. That is (laughs) a Druid, let's go, keep going, keep going. Nope, you're going back the wrong way. There you go, yay, we're going to the (laughs) the 90s. Some people on this call remember the 90s. Um, Next slide. (laughs) <laughs> and Al Gore and the internet. So it was a good thing. But this is what data warehousing architectures look like. So that next slide, thank you. This is when I got into the world of data warehousing back in the 90s. Um, yes, that does mean I'm that old. <laughs> um, and I worked for a company called Redbrick and I was their a technical support engineer. So Red, Red, Redbrick was one of the first databases uh, designed for data warehousing uh, up until then you tried try to make Oracle work. Um, Teradata is another option here. But this is what the architecture looked like, is that you had data from all your different data sources, you know, usually Oracle, um, sometimes Informix. And you um, had your analytics on the right-hand side, all the way over the, your users. What did they need to know? These were, these were non-technical people. And so you would put these things into a data warehouse or a Datamart, which is a subject-specific data warehouse. And the that little blue box. This is ETL. Um, seems very like easy, and you know, unobtrusive. It's just a little blue box. But actually, this is the hard part. It's like actually taking all that data from the different data sources and massaging it into what at that point was a denormalized style schema called a star schema or a snowflake schema, and figuring out how do you get that data into that um, format uh Gartner at the time said ETL would take about 18 to 24 months uh to do for an enterprise data warehouse which is a pretty long time. Um I built a data warehouse at the turn of the century for Vail Resorts and it took me 10 months personally to do 32 different data sources just to get it into a little data mart for marketing. So this And is- and
0: and that was the last time you had to touch it too, right, Rachel? Like I think, you know, once you get it set, it's it should work forever, right?
1: Yeah, never. Yeah, of course. Like it never breaks. <laughs> Nothing ever changes. Oh, and you know what really never changes? Customer requirements. Oh, they never, they, yeah. they never changes their mind, especially after eighteen to twenty-four months. Yeah. So never you just say, like. Oh you, yeah. It's fine. You
0: just get to drink on the <laughs> job afterwards, right? So that's what oh, yeah. I hear.
1: <laughs> well, in my case is on the job, but yeah, because it was at Vail Resorts, so mm. you know, I just went skiing every day. There you go. So it's great.
0: Yeah, right. much healthier. <laughs>
1: All right, let's go, let's go forward a little bit in time. Okay. You know, everybody's like, oh, this is ancient history, Rachel. We're going to go to the 2000s, back in my uh, – and um, St. Jobs of Apple, you know, <laughs> uh, brought the mobile world to us. And that mobile world brought us a lot more data. And I remember at the time people going – Well, there's no way we're ever going to get through all that data. So what's all the point of it? And, oh, and and the whole process that ETL process and that whole idea of storing all that data is became a tad overwhelming and more than overwhelming, it became a, a lot expensive. So trying to figure out how to scale an Oracle, a single node Oracle database to hold all the data from all your mobile applications and your web properties. Um, just became overwhelming so somebody came up with a great idea of Hadoop Um, (laughs) but then we also have S3 and blob stores and other various data lakes which I know is a concept that you guys are a tad familiar with we know a thing or two (laughs) yeah Uh, and uh, the and then ETL got pushed out to then what we call ELT, which I don't know why in my slide doesn't have that as ELT, but is so very similar to where you know Trino fits and some of the other architectures of this time is like take the data out of your of your data lake. Don't worry about um, this how it looks when it goes into your data lake. worry about how it comes out of your data lake. And I like to call this a schema on read versus a schema on write. So the previous architecture was schema on write. This is schema on read. But for the most part, you still have users. They still want stuff, and they're still going to change their minds a lot. All right, so let's go to now. Um, it should really be an Apple Watch, shouldn't it? <laughs> but um, go ahead, go next. Um, we Maybe now- Google Glass. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great is you know companies like Netflix, who are here on the show with us, are you know some of the the early adopters of these types of um, service expectations and how do you provide analytics at the same rate that you provide your your web applications or your mobile applications so data driven and um, data analytics applications require the same service expectations that you would for on your on your phone right your which you can't see because of my background but yeah like so Analytics has moved into a new realm where it's not just enough to uh, be able to take data and you know query it at some point, and maybe at, at another point, give users certain reports or let them change their minds. We need to have it interactive, adapted, personalized, et cetera. So can you go to the next slide? Um, oh, and I have an obligatory partner quote because I can't do any type of presentation without an <laughs> obligatory that's
0: how you know it's legit
1: blah 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 yeah that's, yeah that's how we know they're de- so now we have a new set of challenges right this is so it's now big data plus plus because it's not only you have a ton of data um not only do you have um these now distributed architectures you now have the concept that the data has to be coming in in real time and people want to interact with it in real time and a whole host of um data pipeline tools have now become kind of the de facto standard. And that ETL world has now stretched and it's instead of just being one time or ELT at the end, or schema on read, schema on write, kind of schema all over the place. And you're using things like Flink or Spark Streaming or Kafka Streams, you, know, you name the technology there and you're do- constantly doing ETL or what we call a data pipeline. Um, And this type of architecture required a new type of database, and I like to call this architecture the data rivers because it kind of goes with the lake thing. Mm -hmm. Um, People saying the data rivers doesn't sound fast enough, so it's like a class five data river where the (laughs) data is just, I don't know. I don't know how to make that work.
2: (laughs) You mean like heavy white water with waterfalls and everything?
1: Yeah, exactly. No waterfalls. Those are are really dangerous. This isn't dangerous. (laughs) This is cool. so this is where Druid fits in. So Druid is a database. We finally got there. And what it does is it takes data um, off of message buses like Kafka or um, Pulsar, or Kinesis. Um, it also can read data from data lakes, so from S3, from Hadoop. Um, there's also a new Spark connector. So if you're interested in that, you know, please ping me because we are going to be doing some really cool things on the new Spark connector. Um, so th- that So Druid will take the data from those different data sources and put it into a database, a columnar-style database that has been designed for analytics and specifically for interactive OLAP-style analytics where you don't need to know where all your queries are ahead of time, that your users can be more flexible, and they can get to data that's fast. Fast and fresh. How
0: fast? That's And so we, we a lot of words you said there. I actually then overlap a lot with Trino, right? So that's why I wanted to, let's start making that distinction of what do you mean by fast?
1: What do I mean by fast? Well, we usually mean sub-second when we mean fast. Yeah. Um, and we, so Druid does support joins, um, and it's, but it's definitely not its primary use case mm. because to us, dru- joins would typically be too slow. Yeah. So yeah, we do support it for those for those side times that you need it. And I think that's where Trino comes in is where you need to have the that full function of joining data from various different data sources and you're willing to wait maybe a couple of seconds. Yeah. for res- responses versus sub-second response times.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk we'll dive I think we're going to we have a lot of really cool use cases that that are coming from Netflix uh that we'll talk about with Parth and S- Samarth here in a minute, but uh uh but yeah, there there are uh uh, a lot of times where when you're looking at these systems and you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I understand that these are both, you know, handling the as analytics use case, so they're going to be very fast in returning uh, results to me uh, and over a large set of data, right? That's the, that's the basic thing. But the, the question, the distinguishing factor is, uh, well, one is that, you know, Druid's actually storing this data uh, and, and Druid also has its own, I guess, uh, probably special, Uh, types of like indexes and and all sorts of fancy ways to to make that sub-second latency happen, right?
1: That's the magic. That's That's the magic. Sort of behind the scenes, yeah. Exactly. Well, also,
2: I think it's worth pointing out that we have a Kafka connector, but obviously uh, from Trino connecting to Kafka is great, but all you're seeing is the stream passing through. So as soon as like the stream is gone, it's gone, right? So, having a system like druid where the data actually ends up landing unlocks that uh, aspect of looking at more data in longer time periods beyond what's currently streaming and then querying that with drino works very nicely as well right you have yet another in this case super fast data source that interacts nicely with kafka and streaming systems so i think it's a great combination
0: yep yeah, it brings in it brings in something that we we completely lack in Trino, and and that that real time element uh, that uh, basically if you are uh, if you're pulling out uh, data and trying to do something like a window type query, uh, something that's constantly updating in the query, just kind of is something that persists. This is something that you can now do with Druid, w- whereas in Trino, all we're really doing is pulling the data back in batches and uh, and specifically answering like a query in time uh, and it's just going to end at some point at, versus Druid is a con- constantly ongoing, uh, uh, query. And this is, I think this is the common confusion by what our, what our Kafka, uh, connector and what, what, what we do with, with any of these kind of streaming or pub sub type data stores. Uh, we're not actually, we're, we're doing a batch, uh, process that, that runs on top of these systems. They're not, uh, these, these persistent queries. So, so I think that's a, a good distinguishing factor there, Manfred. Um, cool. So th- sorry for interrupting you, Rachel. I just wanted to, I, I, that was a perfect point for me to put in my little pitch of like, we, <laughs> we, we, we constantly get this confusion. I, I remember starting out too, like I was constantly confused between the differences between like real-time systems versus uh, batch systems. So carry on with, with telling us about more about Druid.
1: How, how much more I have to talk about, actually. That was where... Oh, right, okay. So now let's talk about where Druid came from. Um, so at the time that the, the people who wrote Druid were looking at this, as, it was about 10 years ago. We're getting close to our 10-year anniversary of the first Cool. code. Um, this was an... Uh, they worked for an ad tech company. So the first place where making sure that you could look at data that was straight off the wire and make decisions on it extremely quickly actually meant money. So AdTech was the first use case that Druid was used for. And what they did is they looked at time series databases and they said that these were good because they were low latency and they could do time-based queries, but they didn't scale very well. Um, The other side of the equation, they could use search systems like Elasticsearch. I think you mentioned that Elastic. Um, And that's great for real-time ingestion. It had that Kafka piece done really well. It had the flexible schema thing done really well. Um, but it wasn't good for analytics and it's still not particularly good for analytics. It's, um, it's great for searching, yep. not great for those ad hoc style queries. Yep. What's good for ad hoc style queries? OLAP databases. Um, and those had efficient storage and fast analytic uh, queries, um, but it didn't have any streaming ability and there was no flexibility in the schema. So, what they said is, that, all right, let's take a bits and pieces of all these three systems and let's smash them together in some sort of intelligent way. And that's how we create Druid. So, the, I think that the next slide makes this yes.
0: nice. <laughs> Enter the Druid.
1: High <laughs> performance, real time analytics database for event driven data. So, so for... and I always want to make sure this is up there, right? database.
0: Yeah, Can absolutely. And that's, that's one, another distinguishing factor for Trino versus Druid is like, you guys actually store the data. We are, are, are yet a humble little query engine that sits on top of you. <laughs> so, um, so one thing I, I, wanted to, to be clear for the, anybody who's listening on the podcast, uh, if you know, enter the dragon, uh, just picture that, that, uh, um, uh, big front to that, that, uh, movie, uh, with Bruce Lee sitting on the front. And then instead of enter the dragon, it's enter the Druid. I love that. <laughs> Super hilarious. And, and, and wow, these thanks. slides are in the shlo- show notes too, if you actually want to see the visual. <laughs> so very, very totally funny stuff. All right. I um, I
1: think that's. Oh, yeah, we have the obligatory architecture slide. Yeah. Um, I can. The, th- the takeaway from this, because not everybody can see the pictures, is that um, Druid is was designed in a post cloud world. So it was designed to work in a cloud environment um, as its default. Mm. So there is a, a very distinct. Separation of different types of processes, so you don't need to put a big, massive Hadoop-style node to do very small amounts of processing, like would be a broker, for example. And and um, so.
0: I was going to say for anybody who wants to, uh, to kind of look, I, I I spilled that one out because there's a lot to to take in there. And I pulled out some of the definitions that are on the Druid website, uh, just to put into our show notes for, for easy and quick access. And it basically takes the, the architecture. There's a lot of different types of nodes that are being used in in Druid for these different purposes. And so I, I, I basically just pulled out the, the definitions there. If you want to, uh, check that out in the show notes.
2: So if yeah, you want to move going. over, sorry, you go, Rachel.
1: I was just going to say, if you want more information about it, you're welcome. People are welcome to find me, um, and I can definitely take them through it. But cool, we, cool. We lots so, of written. About
2: it. So so let let me ask the obligatory architectural question that leads <laughs> us over to Trino, which also means leads us over to maybe Samarth and Path, who've been working on the Trino connector, and that is, on that chart, I see that there is a broker nodes. Which receive the queries, uh, which then uh, talk to various other nodes, historicals, deep storage, all that kind of stuff, and then I see the Kafka uh, stream topics going in the real time nodes. What does the Trino connector do? Who does he talk to? Those broker nodes, or like how does that work? Tell us more.
1: Well, I think that's p- the people who wrote it are.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you want to take uh, take that one, Samarth?
3: Yeah, so um, the Trino connector, the trino Druid connector, you can, you can configure to talk uh, to a broker or router, right? And so uh, these nodes maintain a view of what data resides where. So the real-time data you know, can reside on what Druid, Druid calls middle managers and the not so real-time data that has been handed off from these middle managers to historicals and so the brokers maintain a view. And so as, as the query arrives, they know where they should direct the, so, so what essentially does, it does a fan out. Um, and so the broker knows whether the query should be directed to middle managers or historicals or both and merges those results back, gives it back to a, a, a tree node worker node, and then in turn, um, a return to the user.
2: Yeah. And awesome. So there is there is only one of those brokers, or is there many? And then tr- does Trina talk to only one, or does it talk to multiple?
3: So it can be configured. So, like I said, you know, you can talk to the router, uh, and the the Droid router, and the Droid router in turn can have rules where it say, you know, uh, you know, maybe for a particular data source, I want to go to a dedicated broker. You know, just just like a random rule here. So it can talk to multiple brokers. And okay. that's through the router. Or you can say, okay, I want to talk to one, one particular broker. Yeah.
1: But in general, so, yeah, there's gonna be multiple bro- brokers and routers uh, in a cluster. And we usually say as a rule of thumb, you know, one of them for every historical node that you have.
2: Okay. And then Trino can parallelize via the parallel query to talk to a whole bunch of them as well, basically.
3: Uh, no, so Trino, uh, the connector can only talk to one.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, and then yeah. the parallelization happens underneath the hood in, in yeah. the droid side. side. Oh, very cool.
4: When someone says it can only talk to one, what he means is for a given query, it is only issuing it to a host, one of the router, but even in the router or broker stack, you can have like 10 nodes running. So yeah. it's not it's not like you are always talking to a single host and if that host goes down, you're out of luck. It has, uh, you know, multiple nodes behind it. But if you think about it from any other GDBC connectors perspective, you are talking to a MySQL database, or you are talking to an Oracle database. This is very similar. There are not 100,000 splits. There is only one split, and it is just querying against that one single split. And then the work, the majority of work, is supposed to be done by Druid because that's what that's where it excels. Uh, when it has to do the whole aggregation by itself and not kind of
1: return
2: the raw results back to us. That makes sense. So So unless, unless their query gets split up by the Trino planner into multiple queries that get issued separately, and then there's some aggregation or whatever processing happening on the Trino side, everything is done on the Trin, on the Druid side quite a lot.
0: Yeah, so this is like the ultimate like full pushdown, right? It's it's not trying to kind of uh, as as much as possible. You're basically just trying to get back uh, a, a data a, a result set, and and you're basically just saying take the entire query. I mean, is is there any times where you you have to kind of split things up, or or you're not able to like do uh, a a pushdown? Um, like kind of any any use case outside of that where you're going to essentially like need to do some more work on the Trino side or any any need for parallelization? is that use case ever come up?
4: Yeah, I think that that, that is a use case. However, again, like, um, and I think this goes back to the notes that you have on, on why did we choose GDBC uh, versus Druid's native uh, query issuing capabilities. But going back to your question, uh, uh, it, there are a bunch of use cases where you may want to, you may not be like, if you're using a presto function that doesn't even have an equivalent in Druid, there's no way to push that down to Druid, right? So yeah. I- in those cases, ideally you would do what you said. We will basically just go to historicals and we would say, let's paralyze it, but let's have multiple splits and just pull raw data and then presto do the aggregation by applying the predicate or function or uh, you know aggregate uh, that is not available in Druid. However, that's not where Druid excels, and we don't view that at least in the initial version. We didn't view that as like the thing that we should focus on. Primarily, we wanted to focus on the complete pushdown, and that, and again, so far we we are happy with the results that we have seen. Cool. So much you add.
3: Yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, the alternative is, you know, instead of going to Druid historicals, um, you know, Presto can directly query the deep storage. Right, so Droid maintains its data on historical nodes as well as, and there's a sort of back, or there's the sort of the source of truth which is in uh, deep storage. So uh, yeah, there are those various options. And like Path was saying, you know, these are again, the various pros and cons of doing HTTP versus JDBC. Uh, we can get to those later, but yeah. Cool.
0: cool. Um, so why don't we hop down here into, uh, the PR of the week? Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll specifically pull up the, uh, initial work. I think, uh, I just kind of want to know some of the story. So, so, uh, Puneet, uh, Jai- Jaiwal, um, was the initial, uh, um, person to kind of take the gambit of, of, uh, pulling together some sort of a plugin, uh, PR for this, Right. So he did some of the early work. Uh, and then you kind of uh, picked it up, right, Samarth? Is that kind of how it went?
3: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Puneet, I think he used to work at Lyft uh, okay. during that time. And uh, um, for whatever reasons, he stopped working on it. And then I just took over. Because we have we had an immediate use case where we wanted uh Trino connectivity with Druid. And that's how I ended up taking up this VR.
0: Cool. And what? And can you go? Let's Let's dive into kind of uh, what that use case was, and uh, and kind of what uh, what you were initially trying to accomplish with the uh, the Druid connector.
3: Yeah. So so the driving use case behind uh, this was we wanted our so so our Tableau users uh, they wanted they have their data sets in Druid, um, but there's no way for them. To be able to, at least, not a nice way, but to, to be able to query that data in their Tableau dashboards, mm-hmm. um, the and, and so you know, so this is well. There's an alternative available. You know, there's an Avatica driver available, but then uh, at the end of the day, uh, Tableau throws these kinds of SQL statements that the uh, that Druid's implementation of the Avatica protocol uh, cannot handle those SQL statements, so. Uh, and, and we, have, uh, we have lots of Tableau dashboards uh, that can connect to our Presto clusters using the uh, JDBC driver. So we know that that support is quite mature in general. Whatever SQL that uh, Tableau throws, Presto can handle it fine. And so this is where we started. You know what, what if we were to connect pres- our Presto clusters with Droid and then let Presto handle all the complex SQL stuff and 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 see if uh, to get and see if uh, if we can get good performance out of it. You know, um, Druid is supports you know all of these sub second uh, queries, uh, and so if we could take those queries and push as much as possible down to Druid, uh, we can have these uh, Tableau dashboards like super responsive dashboards. And and keep in mind, these, we are talking about live connections here. You know, so the, these are not. Extracts that user Tableau extracts that user pull into you know whatever Tableau does I think it's HyperVisor or something like that and um, these are live connections to the cluster and so Druid and and so you know you get all the uh, goodness of live connection there's freshness of data you don't have to keep refreshing and uh, because it's Druid you can you get you know, billions or trillions of rows, you get excellent performance in the dashboards, uh, which is, uh, so, yeah, so this is where, you know, this is sort of the, where, uh, the whole, uh, push came from to be able to connect, uh, our Tableau. With Druid.
0: So, so the kind of first push was, was more towards like, less of a federated use case, but more like syntax layer mapping or something like that. Is that correct?
3: Uh, I would say so. Yes. Yeah, okay. and there's also there the other use case where um, users wanted this capability of uh, joining the data that resides in a warehouse with data that is in uh, Druid tables, right, D- or Druid yeah. data sources. Yeah. Um, Druid does provide a limited uh, join functionality through lookups and everything, but then um, it's a hassle when users have to configure Druid. or. You know, to add those lookups, you know, make an extra copy from data that's already in data warehouse, and and get it mapped to Druid, and and you know, and so that's this is where we started. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so and yet the, the, another,
0: the, yeah, yet another, yet another thing that the a reason why why bringing this this Druid connector to life was uh, was all the more pertinent. Cool. Um, So, so then while you were kind of uh, working on this, I think kind of in the background or kind of like even before this, there was already work kind of coming down the pipeline uh, that, uh, let me see, that Parth was working on. Uh, So Parth, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit? uh, And and, sorry, I didn't even relate (laughs) how this work is related, but uh, there's uh, this basic, Changes is not basic change. I shouldn't not a basic change. Basically, is what I was trying to say. Uh, this change was uh, was focused on on enabling aggregation pushdown. Uh, this was just in the kind of core core uh, SPI changes that were needed to actually handle aggregation pushdown at all. Correct. This was just
4: Uh, yeah. So so basically, the uh, SPI changes so we can expose it to the connector and then optimize the rules so Presto's planner and optimizer could realize that these a connector is capable of handling the pushdown. And again, uh, I want to make it explicit: this is complete pushdown, not partial pushdown. So this only handles the complete pushdown case. But these were changes needed so that any connector within Trino could actually one know what aggregation it needs to do. And then the optimizer could take that into account and change the plan so that it would not do any aggregation of its own. It would just treat the aggregation uh, functions as like a direct projection. And it would know that the connector would handle the aggregation on its side.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, And,
2: and there's, there's been quite a bit of work on top of that. Uh, like this has been definitely uh, a, a very important PR. Um, and since then, and also in the couple, last couple of releases, we've done, uh, like there's more documentation about like limit pushdown, um, and we've done like the top end pushdown, which is like order by queries with limit. And um, so there's, yeah. there's more and more of that happening, and that's it's, it's very useful. And uh, having it in the SPI, like you exposed it there. Uh, makes it possible for any connector to implement those for whatever functions they are right and that's that's obviously different right like different connectors and different underlying data sources support different aggregate functions and different syntax uh, natively so it's on a per connector basis so that's. That's awesome that that flowed into and came out of through it to some degree. It's
0: yeah. Great. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's driven a lot of other things, including so the one of the other ones that that uh, you know we had to eventually add that capability to the uh, client as well. So, uh, so this this one uh, took it a bit further, and this was done by Piotr, uh, enabling uh, us to actually use this uh, and on the uh, on the front end as well. So, so
1: yeah. Uh, by the way, this it...
4: sorry. Uh, Go ahead, Parth. Yes, I think uh, once we added the uh, aggregate pushdown and top-end pushdown, I think limit pushdown was there even before this. But yep. once we added the aggregate pushdown and top-end pushdown, uh, Peter added it to the base JDBC, and then uh, from there, it just trickled down to, I think, MySQL, uh, Postgres. So uh, most direct databases, which is kind of equivalent to what Druid is, like it is a complete data store and can handle aggregate functions. Mm-hmm. I think it was done in all of those. And again, that it's just one of the examples where you make a change in something that is very specific for us, but because it is you know applicable to any connector and you know good at it, it just trickles. Uh, you know, it trickles down to all of it. Everybody kind of gets benefited from it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And for for our users that are interested in checking that out, um, in this last release, um, I documented this for the for the connector. So it it like every connector now has a pushdown like everyone that i know of anyway there's probably some missing so we should add some more but it has a pushdown section where it links to more details about the different pushdowns that are supported and a list of functions that are being pushed down so um we we obviously trying to expose that to users to make sure they can understand this and that kind of stuff. So. We just got
0: a, qu- a question, and uh, so I thought, the uh, question is, um, I thought the connector always did a full pushdown. Was adding aggregation pushdown for Druid a way to tell Trino that it had to do that, or is it possible to not use aggregation pushdown with Druid? Uh, did- I don't know
4: if I completely understand the question, but uh, in the JDBC world, there is a flag. Uh, if you... Let's say if you don't want your GDBC connectors to do aggregate pushdown, it's just a kind of config property or session property that you can set and say, I want to disable it and it will disable it. It is complete pushdown. And uh, what that means is when you issue a query like select count star from Postgres state, like schema, Postgres dot schema dot some table, instead of earlier, before we did the pushdown, uh, Trino would basically go and fetch all the rows from Postgres and then we would do like a count aggregation on Trino side. But that's, again, like if you think about it, it's just not good because Postgres has indexing, has count, has all the metadata and it can probably answer the query much faster rather than having to stream all the data back to Trino versus now that we have aggregate pushdown enabled. And let's say in Postgres, we implement count star. Drino is telling the Postgres connector, hey, here is a function called count. And I want you and the Postgres connector would say, Oh, I can handle it. You don't have to worry about it. And the plan will change from like scan, aggregate, and then output to just scan and output. And in that case, the count is being done. So it only returns like one row back. And Postgres would answer it. So in most cases i would say we have brought down the latencies from anywhere between minutes to you know tens of seconds down to a few seconds less than 5 seconds in case of druid what we have observed is we generally even on billions of rows that uh, you know uh, we have aggregated over we can generally respond back even with presto within 2 to 3 seconds for a lot of queries where you know you are providing the right filters and aggregations and stuff like that
0: yeah, I, I think this uh, this question. Now that I kind of read through it uh, one more time, is it, it kind of uh, there's sometimes uh, an assumption that like the the being able to do pushdowns, uh, certain types of pushdown queries, is just automatically uh, cap- like something that can just happen. You just basically take it and pass it along, but uh, it's there's not usually like a direct one to one mapping. A lot of times, uh, there there are specific. Uh, there there are specific barriers. So, so for instance, like let's say you're you're dealing with something that has a slightly different syntax, or I'm not really sure the specifics of Druid. If I, I know you said that the the syntax whenever you're dealing with Druid is not uh, perfect ANSI SQL, so you may not be able to just take the aggregation and say okay, spit it right back out and and send it to Druid. Um, I'm not sure if that was the uh, one of the, the well, dru- I think
2: I think the best way to understand and explain this is probably. Uh, for for Ben is um, out of the box. And historically, Trino was designed as a SQL query engine that queries for starters hive data sources. So they don't have any of those functions. So the default behavior in Trino is to take care of just load the data from wherever it gets it from, which mm-hmm. is often org or Parquet files or whatever. And then it does a lot of the function processing, so that's the default behavior. And the fact that some data sources, and obviously that's like many nowadays, um, especially with relational databases, do support for this, is sort of like a, sec- a secondary um, consequence and an optimization method and, 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 and an opportunity to optimize. And that's what the Druid Connect added. But the default behavior is not to push down; it's to read the data and do everything on the Druid side.
0: Yeah well 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 put i think that makes a lot of sense so hopefully
4: that uh... to answer your question yes let's say there is a function on trino side which is called count and and they say count is not what druid sql supported it's supposed cnt or something else that's where the connectors get, you know the spi changes that we made comes in play Yeah, it is connector's responsibility to kind of tell trino that when trino ask it can you handle count it has to kind of know that semantically, the equivalent of count in that connector's realm is CNT. And it just has to tell Trino, yes, I can handle count. And then what it does behind the scene, what query it issues to the underlying data source is is basically detached from Trino altogether. Trino doesn't know. It just says, okay, it it can handle it, which means I don't have to do aggregate. I'm just going to let a scan take care of it, and it just returns that. That's it. Yeah, connector. I don't know if that was a question.
0: Yeah, no. That. Yeah, no. I, I think I think we've uh, we've definitely explained it uh, pretty pretty well now, and uh, uh, very good.
2: Ben chimed back in and said yes, so he understands. Cool. So that makes sense.
0: Awesome. So um, uh, yeah, so that that uh, was the uh, kind of the uh, like awesome work that uh, that these guys have been uh, uh, working on recently, and I think there's one other uh bit of work that was kind of recently merged uh which was uh, a new set of uh so yeah so this was actually oh no this is for top end so would you want to tell us a little bit about uh some of these new rules that you've added recently to um uh to the to the spi here uh parth to handle top Uh, in as well
4: yeah it's basically uh, so the there are be- there were three sets we wanted to kind of go iteratively. So first first and foremost was aggregate pushdown. then there was the support for grouping steps which is not very frequently used in our uh, environment, but it is a uh, you know it, it is a feature that a lot of other people use. And then the third one was top and where you know you are just issuing like a order by with limit and Druid supports all three of them, Trino supports all three SQL dialects and bunch of you know JdBCs. Uh, do support them. We just kind of divided the work in three different PRs, so it's easy to review. But right now, again, I think top-end uh, is something that Postgres, MySQL, all of those also uh, handle that correctly right now. So uh, this was just basically another iteration where we handle order by limit queries and now even those push get push down just like aggregate function uh, down to all the way to the connector and Trino doesn't do that work for them makes it faster just like aggregate function there's not really much difference in terms of you know how you do it
0: gotcha um so we got two actual f- so that that one was was i think what back in um oops that one was back in february it got merged in uh, was it it started in june i thought it was merged like feb somewhere around there oh no this is the wrong one uh was this one right yeah top end this was merged in on August fourth. Oh, I must have gotten. that. Oh wait, this is okay. Yeah, it was merged in actually a while back. So I said recently, I w- I lied. <laughs> um, but we have a couple that are still uh, on the on the horizon. Um, we have uh, so this this is now uh, aggregate pushdown for Druid. Can you explain um, now some of this this uh, work as well as the we have another optimizer rule to support the aggregate pushdown with grouping sets. So we'll start out with 4313 first.
4: Yeah, that's just me being not, not focusing on this because most of the time what happens is we develop the feature internally, we work with it, and then whenever I uh, or somebody else in the team gets time, we kind of take that and try and post it on the OSS. We run on a very different versions and we have too many internal patches so it's generally a lot of efforts to kind of port that to oss uh, but this is i think i opened this almost i don't know a year ago <laughs> i just need to address uh, some comments and then uh, hopefully it gets merged in and then everybody could basically leverage the same functionality on android i'm trying to do this before our meetup so that we can actually claim that anybody can use it rather than them having to do the merge operation yeah themselves. but yeah this would basically allow people to do what we are talking about, the use case of you know pushing down the complete query at Druid, and uh, uh, that we internally again uh, have this and a few thing, few other stuff to make the connection work, and we can talk about that. But the PR is adding this, uh, like just like we did for MySQL, Postgres, just adding the actual mapping of the aggregate functions that. Druid can handle it has to kind of expose that information to Trino. Mm-hmm. And this PR kind of does that. It basically exposes that. Oh, I can handle count or whatever else. So this is
0: like the final, final step in, in all of these, all of this work that you you all have been yes. doing. It's like the, the I don't know, the final countdown or something.
4: Yes, that's what it is. <laughs> basically, once once we have this in, then when you issue a query, it would uh, to druid. It would do a complete pushdown as long. And again, there are some caveats there, which is you have to use, uh, you know, the functions that Druid connector has exposed. Like if we we don't handle count distinct right now, so if you did a count distinct, that would become like a scan query, because Druid would say, I, a Druid connector would say, I don't know how to handle it, and then we would just scan all that data back. Got it. Right. So it's just a. It's just the final uh, PR that would allow people to use the Druid connector with complete pushdown. down. That's that's what, that's why we did all the other work. We just got all the other work done. We merged this in our internal version. We got done with our proof of concept and our users and our users started using it yeah i just never got back and updated it's the PR, so it's
0: funny that. how the hardest the hardest pr is to finish is the last one like right that gets you like <laughs> it's the easiest one but yet it's just like the one that gets you right over the finish line and you're like oh i'll get to that and then it <laughs>
4: exactly i'm really bad with this i have i have a bunch of these uh, that have <laughs> happened so i think at this point it's it's even harder for me to ask like peter or david to review because i know they'll be like you won't come back and address my comment for another
1: year.
4: I don't know if I want to review it yeah But yeah I, I'm hoping to get it out let's see let's see if I actually you know be honest this time and do it by end of this week or
0: not Here's what we'll do When we get back to face to face again we'll just hang out at a conference in a room for about an hour and just knock it out
4: <laughs> I'm up for it but let's hope it doesn't get to that <laughs> <laughs> just, and uh,
0: and then yeah so and then the final one is is pulling in uh, now, so now that we have all these fancy things we can actually start adding even more aggregations so you would be adding in uh, the the next one which would be grouping sets
4: yes that's again that's just another optimizer rule because if you right now you can only say select star from table uh, group by a but if you were to say grouping set and then you know let's say country country and city then those things won't be pushed down it's just an optimizer rule that needs to get in so that it can expose that because druid supports it as well druid uh, supports the grouping set functionality as well so it's and bunch of, again, uh, databases uh, that they supported as well. But this is still relatively niche, I would say. Like grouping sets are not very commonly used as far as our environment is concerned. So I don't know how commonly it is used you know outside, but it, it, it's just one more functionality that I think would make it easier for people to you know use the overall connectors across the board.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, anybody else have any questions before we hop on over to the uh, the? Um, oh man, I went on the wrong page. Uh, till we hop over to the um, demo of the week. All right, let me let me do this real fast. This is like uh, going to be a super simple demo, just to kind of, it's this is actually a way to force myself to to start working on this getting started uh, repo that I've been working on. So if I have one of these that I do, I'll basically have a nice simple getting started. So there's nothing like mind blowing with this this demo, um, but uh, but with it we uh, let me see if I can pull up the code here. Um, with it, we can uh, basically just showcase um, bringing in, bringing up a, a quick uh, druid instance, and this, as we had kind of shown before, uh, is going to involve uh, so involve zookeeper and uh, and postgres backing that, uh, and then we have uh, coordinator, router, historical, middle manager, and broker node, and basically. Pull this to the front. The code, um, and this is all going to be a part of the um, uh, uh, all included in links in the show notes. Um, but in the code, uh, what we what we basically have is uh, a little directory that's going to contain a Docker Compose file uh, to pull all these up, and uh, including your Trino uh, instance. And Trino will basically have the, con- the correct configurations. Let me pull up that configuration now. Uh, Very simple in this case, Uh, we're just going to basically delineate the connector name to be the Druid connector, and then we're using the Avatica JDBC uh, URL there. So uh, it just points to the uh, broker in this instance. So so once we've configured that, um, you will run um, Docker Compose uh, up, and this will bring up this little uh, instance here. Um, and once, uh, Druid is, is up and running, you can actually go to their, uh, their console. Um, and I gotta say, like coming into this console, I was like really jealous. That's, <laughs> there's a lot of super, super nice, um, uh, things that you all have going on here. Let me make sure I don't have, let me pull, uh, our little setup here. So yeah, um to to you basically have all the all the uh keys like usually i have to go like fish out for some other data or i can you know if i if i had insert currently uh, druid doesn't uh support inserts so uh so what i typically do is you know i'll, I'll pull out from our tpc uh or tpcds uh data set and I'll, I'll load it into uh into the uh you know whatever data store we're going into but um, here I didn't really need to because I can literally just click on load data and they have a couple things you can do. You can either like point to a, a REST service or, or pull on local disks or paste random data, um, all sorts of fun little things you can do here all from the UI. So I, can, I just uh, pulled into this little example data set up here and uh, they just have this uh, Wikipedia data set. So I just literally loaded the example and then I closed my eyes and I started clicking next. <laughs> so we'll keep doing that next. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to explain this just because I don't want to take all, all the time, but there's a lot of options that you have here to uh, c- to customize and, uh, the, the data set and customize the schema. Uh, based on what you're pulling in but if you're just wanting to kind of you know validate that this works and start playing with data you can literally just go across uh, this creates this ultimate specification that tells Druid you know how to load in this data set what this what the uh, uh, the schema is and, and all this stuff and uh, because this is the example data set it works but if you're pulling in your own data set you might have to uh, adjust with some custom knobs and stuff like that to make sure the schema works and once you do that you can submit and it will take you into the ingestion page where it's actually running this little job that uh, is going to pull the data in. And it's running. And you can refresh and wait till it's not running anymore to hopefully it says it's complete. And I might have actually. Oh, funny. Yeah, I think if I refresh too much, I end up killing the broker. I didn't. I did that last time. So let me just pull the broker back up. <laughs> it's because uh, we're literally running this on a really small Docker Docker container. So no fault to Druid. It's more of my. We back up. back up. All right. Hold on, though. Last time I did this, and it it, uh, worked if we continue from previous spec.
1: It's because it's a live demo, Brian. I know. That's how you know it's live.
0: It is very live. I just needed to do this just for the fact that you all knew that I was really doing this. (laughs) (laughs) And now you know it was really, really uh, done. Okay, so let's see if. Okay, I'm actually going to hold off on refreshing because <laughs> I don't want to kill the broker again. Oh, no, this time historical died. Again, I need to get a bigger... It's it's just really unfortunate because I'm running OBS and I'm running Docker, so I can't really it's like hog up too much of the memory here to actually run this.
2: There's always a reason to buy a bigger machine, isn't there? Always.
0: <laughs> <One more. laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let uh, our CEO know. Oh, we got another 502. Well, let's see. I'll let pull this up one more time. One time I actually killed it, and then it actually ended up loading the data successfully once I pulled the broker back up. So I'm hoping that that will happen. Let's see if there's any data sources yet. We'll look at see if there's a data source once, uh, once the brokers responding again. And if not, we can move on. Oh, hey, we had lots of success actually. There we go, fully yeah. available.
1: So what's happening behind the scenes, Brian, is that the data is getting loaded to deep storage. Yeah. And the so- segments are created so it takes the data from the wikipedia segment it uses that ingestion spec to create these segment files the segment files get stored onto deep storage so that becomes your sort of your backup or it becomes the the the, the store for all of your data and then what druid does is it based on load rules it decides which uh data gets loaded up into the historicals which is available for querying Cool, oh, cool um so this allows or either roll data off or only our tier data based on its age and how fast of a tier you want it on. So it always takes a second when you load up a new data source, because it's doing more than just throwing it into a table, which a lot of relational databases will just like throw into a table and even put it into memory so it's immediately available. But Druid is actually making it ready for real life environment. Got it. That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, that's I mean, that's one of the things too is like you're you can deal with actually both uh, more of a like you can handle somewhat of a batch load and then also have it be uh, real time as well. Um, Okay, so we've refreshed this. Uh, I've already pulled this down. So this actually is not as (laughs) entertaining because this was already loaded up from the previous time before I deleted the data. But um, if we uh, show the uh, create table statement even though we didn't create the table, uh, it, we're still able to pull this out and see all the different fields that came from this. And ultimately we can get the data back. Uh, and that's kind of the hello world of, of, uh, of this that now is, a, uh, is one of our getting started uh, tutorials that you can all set up. So uh, very simple uh, demo today, nothing mind blowing, but I, I mainly, I think was more just showing off the, uh, the Druid uh, API or Druid uh, web UI there so so very very cool um the last little bit uh let me go ahead and adjust real fast one more little thing there i'm just gonna pop you all over here okay last thing uh we we kind of <clears throat> started talking about it a little bit uh and i'd like to just dive in one more time uh to kind of you know, really delineate what is, uh, the native JSON kind of call versus the HTTP call. Um, when we, th- this question gets asked a couple times, uh, has been asked a couple times since the Druid connector came on the scene. And I, I would like to, uh, I, I in the show notes, I put smart take and parth Take uh, that, that they, uh, they put out onto, um, onto Slack uh, to kind of really uh, talk about this, but I'd kind of, first, I kind of wanted to understand, uh, and maybe this could be a question for Rachel or uh, Parth of what, uh, what are the differences between these two and, and who are you actually talking to? I know we kind of touched on it earlier, but I'd like to kind of jump right back into that uh, to kind of answer this question.
3: Yeah, so um, so in case of JDBC, Right, you uh, you're talking to a, a router or a broker. Um, they they can handle uh, they can ha- they have basically endpoints exposed that can handle SQL queries, which in turn they they these these nodes then compile the SQL query into Druid's native JSON query behind the scenes and then uh, farm it off for execution, doing the final merging and returning results back. You know, so that's the option uh, we sort of went with were uh, there are a few reasons why we decided going the jdbc route uh, for to me the most important was uh, or a couple of things that were important you know the druid's uh sql support has been improving uh, and it it has it hasn't been officially recognized but then this generally is uh the general idea that's floating around is that going forward sql is going to be the de facto uh for druid for getting data out of Druid. Uh, and with, with native JSON being uh, for specialized use cases. Um, then secondly, the reason I, we decided doing the SQL route makes sense is, you know, a lot of times uh, users execute queries that may not be, so if you were to craft a native JSON query, um, a lot of times those queries may not be the optimal way of getting data out of Druid. You know, Druid all, has all of these now planner changes implemented where it knows what is the most optimal way of executing uh, a particular query. So, and all of these optimizations are in place in the SQL land. So, so we thought, you know, if we were to uh, <clears throat> provide all of these JDBC SQL based functionality um, on the Presto Druid connector, users won't have to worry about whether they're executing uh, a query that is optimal for Druid. Right. So that's the, uh, the reason why we said, you know, let's go to the JDBC SQL route. <clears throat> and um, okay. it, there, there were some concerns about, you know, there, there is some time it takes to for uh, for Druid to parse a SQL query to a native JSON query, which is what it does always. Uh, but then we thought, you know, what that bottleneck is, is 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 not substantial. You know, we in in our experience, it maybe take a few milliseconds, which was good enough for a use case. You know, um, and so. That's that's the whole uh, you know the reasoning that we or the thought process that we went through when we decided you know we should go through the uh, JDBC route. So uh, other than
0: parsing, does it really like give you much benefit to like you know it's it's in general it's it, you're you're seeing that it's more uh, beneficial to do the full pushdown rather than this partial aggregate and and bring things back onto Trino, right? It, it's is there ever what would be what would be one of the like uh, or any case that you've heard of anybody bring up or at maybe at Netflix where it is more beneficial to just basically scan the data and then do something maybe
3: uh, closer to uh, yeah. closer to home? So so Druid generally is, you know, if if you if so, there are two ways to get data out of Druid, right? One is you hit the broker and the broker will do the fan out uh, to the historical nodes. The other is these historical nodes; they can themselves um, handle queries. Um, so, but 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 these historical nodes cannot handle SQL queries. They only handle native JSON-based queries. Yeah. So, uh, if we were to, you know, issue a, this scan-style of query to draw it and the, to the broker, what the broker would essentially do is call each historical, pull all of data out, merge all of the data in, in broker. As I mean, it, it would stream and merge the data and send it back to whoever is asking for it. Druid generally is not built for it. It's just going to put a lot of load on the cluster. Uh, the other alternative is if, if the callers can directly make these queries uh, to the historical nodes, You know, for that they would need to know what data resides on one, what historical node there. So they would, they would need to know for this particular data source, for this particular time interval, this historical node has the data. So they would have to maintain all of that logic that the Druid broker maintains. They would have to have some kind of that mapping within their, uh, within their layer or within their app so that they can directly query issue queries to the historical. So we have, we don't have an, a use case for that, but I can see where it might be beneficial. Um, for example, if you were to do issue a group by query, you know, and the group by key space is really, really large, uh, if we were to issue such kind of queries from broker to historicals, then you know when broker does the merging, uh, because the key space is so large, broker would just, let's say, fail with an out of memory, right? Uh, the alternative is for something like Trino, where each Trino worker node would know what splits it has to hit. So they mm-hmm. would be like n splits corresponding to n historical nodes. And Trino has this uh, more sophisticated merging, right, where it can form like a tree structure, and say, okay, I would do the first level, you know, my first level query would be to just go issue queries to the historical nodes. Then I would do like a tree level merge, so that I, uh, so that none of my uh, histor- uh, so none of my worker nodes will fail out of memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trino has a, has a much more sophisticated algorithm. Yep, there.
0: that makes sense.
3: Yeah, cool. So, you- so. Yeah. Ahead, of go, there. Go, go uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, so that's, that's, those are some use cases where this might help, you know, in uh, going directly to historicals via HTTP versus going to a uh, broker using JDBC or SQL route.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah. Part, so, did you have something you wanted to add on yeah,
2: that?
3: Yeah, so the, the,
4: the major right now, I would say the major uh, reason for us doing it is, if you want to do what Samar just said, and again there is a, there is room for that, you will have to implement partial pushdown handling rather than complete pushdown handling, which is what we did, mm-hmm. and that is a whole level of complexity, which like I would say it is at least if not two x five x then it's more difficult to change the optimizer and the planner and all of that because like uh, there there are fun. Just mathematically, I can probably do min of min. I can't do count of count. When right, So how do you handle that? Because there are semantical differences there. So b- the first problem is that, that when you want to go to historicals or deep storage, it's a, first you have to understand there are three options. Option one, you go and ask Druid to do what it's best at, which is it can farm out, it can do merge, and it can give you re- results back within milliseconds. Or you can go to historicals, but you need to do know the state, and you need to manage partial pushdown on your end. Or you can go to deep storage. Again, you need to kind of know the state, and you need to do partial pushdown. For us, it was very easy to kind of see that the fastest way and the majority of use cases that we were looking at, it makes sense to go to the first route, because that's where Druid excels anyways. Yeah. The second place where it will be useful is Right now, if you think about a query, which is like select count from uh, a table that works. If you have a query, which is select count from where column equal to X. Now Druid does predicate push down as well, which means that it can handle that as well. But if you have a query, which is select star from table where some Presto function, which does not have an equivalent in Druid, there is no way for us to push the aggregate down as well. Because you can't apply the aggregate and then apply the function,
0: mm-hmm.
4: right? Because that, that won't give you the correct results. So, in that case, we have no option but to stream the results back from the broker given the approach we have taken right now. So, in those cases, it makes sense to go to historical, get the results back, and then give you the out, you know, up, let Trino apply the function, the filter pushdown, and then do the aggregation on top of it. And we again, I think this is something that we did had to hand, handle internally because a lot of times, you know, if you have like case when, coalesce, all of those are not currently handled in Trino. Like if you have anything a little bit more complex, which is what Tableau will do, then it won't be pushed down. So what we had to do internally is handle all of those kind of push down too. So we now have function push down, cast push down, coalesce push down, case when push down. Like, there are a bunch of things that we handle again, but which we haven't really had the time to yeah. go and publish a PR for. But those, that's where we knew that Trino is going towards. That we, as a community, there is a good push to kind of have all those features also being pushed down. And once that is available, there is literally very little reason to go the historical route yeah. or the deep storage route. Because essentially, what you want is the one case where the broker is a single node trying to do all the merge. That's where it will be a problem. But and I don't think people are looking for that use case as much, at least I haven't seen it in my, uh, and, you know. And program. I
0: was going to ask, is there any, like, is there any way to address that, like, easily in Druid, or is it just vertical scale? Like, you just start throwing more memory at a, your brokers or?
4: Yeah, it's a vertical scale.
0: Okay. Okay. So hopefully you're not running those all the time. And if you are, then it's just going to cost you more RAM. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. That makes sense. Uh,
4: I think at some point we will handle it. We will have to handle it. And to us, it was also like, as I said, it was fast-paced route addresses majority of use case. And it's an implementation detail. Yeah. You could change the connector to use Druid native JSON at any point, and the users won't even, you know, know the difference it will be something that they could probably control or we could control depending on the shape of the query so for yeah. us as said, well, if it addresses 95 percent of use cases it's better to build that rather than trying to focus oh yeah on the five. so
0: that makes sense especially keeping things like is in the code maintainable is yet another small argument at least while it needs to be <laughs> yeah
4: And again, in this case, we were able to just use Presto's base JDBC for the most part, which, you know, you basically, we use a lot of code. Yeah. It generates a SQL and all of it, rather than having to kind of do a lot of those work. The state management itself would be a lot of work, I would say, uh, given that we'll have to figure out which historical to hit, right? So it's, to us, again, it was more like a simple choice because we were targeting a use case, which is more prevalent anyways.
0: Cool um anything more you'd like to add to that smarth before we uh, or or rachel before we we uh hop off nope all right well thank you very much for for joining us today i think uh i've learned a lot about druid uh <laughs> today and and uh understanding specifically some of the intricacies that uh, that went around uh some of the development and and uh really uh, hoping that uh Everybody else was, um, you know, uh, taking away as much as I did. Um, so just wanted to uh, say uh, music for the show is uh, uh, by as Mega Man six gameplay album by Christoph Slavikowski. Uh, you all have a great uh, rest of your day and uh, we'll see you all in two weeks.